Welcome to the Ink Feather Podcast. We bring you fun and new insights into the world of fantasy and science fiction publishing. Here you'll find interviews with the authors you love, insight from industry professionals, book reviews both succinct and extensive, and more. I'm your host and the founder of Ink Feather Book Reviews, Lauren Zurchin. In episode three, I'm chatting with Alex Kaler. Alex is the author of numerous books, including the Immortal Circus series and the Ravenborn series. Today, we chat about his most recent book, Runebinder, which came out November 14th from Harlequin Teen. Hi, Alex. Hi, Lauren. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm good. Thanks for joining me here. I'm so excited we're getting to talk about this book. I wanted to say to people, do you remember how we met? Something about BEA. Yeah, I'll tell the story. So I was at BEA, I think it was 2014. I was in line, I was there by myself, and I'm in line to get the an arc sign from Garth Nix for Clariel, his like prequel book. And I'm just standing there by myself, and there are these three super friendly people chatting in front of me. Just this like group of three people, and they all and I started talking with them and they were friendly back with me and we were back and forth. And Alex was one of them. <laughs> So yeah, it was literally like people that are all in the industry just hanging out, getting books signed. We're all Garth Nix fans. So <laughs> I still have that book. Yeah, so. I do too. Okay, so let's talk about Runebinder. So for those who maybe haven't read it, I will say we're probably going to talk spoilers. I don't necessarily hesitate on things. So if you haven't read it, I'll put a notice at the at the on the thing if there is a lot of spoilers. But in case someone's listening and they're interested and they haven't read it, what would be a summary, uh, in your own words, of kind of what the story's about? The little elevator pitch that I put together is that it is a post-apocalyptic monster hunter with monsters, magic, and queer protagonists. So I find it really interesting because the thing that drew me to it the most is something you didn't actually mention, which is the magic is elemental magic. Ah, Yes. That is my like number one favorite kind of magic system. I'm always looking at new ways that people are approaching it. And so for me, I was like, oh, I mean, all of those things were really cool, but I was like, oh my gosh. And it's also elemental magic. So why basically did you decide to go down that route? How did you decide to assign the elements? Why did you decide to do element-based magic versus just like other kind of magic that's just like spells or whatever? Um, that is a great question, and it's going to be interesting because any question about where this book started or like how it was created will probably cause me to pause because I started working on this world almost 15 years ago now, maybe longer. I saw that in your postscript in the book, and I actually <laughs> made a note on here to be like, dude, how are you even so like... I know. Yeah, it, it's been an interesting journey. When I was dreaming up this world, the magic came first, and there were many different images that came to mind, but I kept getting this image of the spheres of magic. And, you know, I had been in art school at the time, and there was many different influences going through music and dance and all of this stuff. And it's interesting because I've had a lot of people make comparisons to Avatar, which I've never actually... Oh my God, favorite show. Yeah. <laughs> I've been avoiding it because, like, I don't want to, you know, pull influence from it. So, yeah, I was researching different uh, magic systems at the time, and the elements had always been a really big draw for me, yeah. especially water. 
And I started connecting different dots of like, okay, if we have the the chakras in Eastern mysticism, which are, you know, energy points in the body, some of them are related to elements, some are related to sounds, Mm. you know, what if I could sort of reinvent that system in a fantasy element where there are these energy centers in the body that pertain to different aspects of being alive, whether it's, you know, heat or breath or the body or blood. And then how would they connect to external elements? How would they impact you emotionally if you were using them? Mm -hmm. So I started basically drawing from a bunch of different mystical systems and sort of reinterpreting them. And they all connected together really easily. Really? Now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, I mean, it's awesome. You found all the pieces to put together, but you're right. Like knowing what the chakras are, like even if someone was reading this, that had no concept of what chakras are or where they were in your body. It's still a really cool magic thing, but knowing that going, okay, this is where these chakras are in our body, in our throat, in our abdomen, in our stomach, whatever on the top of our head and having those illuminate when they use the magic and how they're connected. I thought that was really cool. So hearing you say how they tied together, it's, it kind of almost sounds serendipitous in a way. Like, Yeah, it definitely linked together, especially then inverting it and saying, well, if you were using this to create a monster, you know, they then really easily correlated to different mythological monsters, whether it was like zombies or vampires or like incubi and succubuses. Mm-hmm. It's God, that must have been so much fun to play and being like, okay, what's the opposite? What's the negative? What's the even like our main character 10, how he is very emotional because water is his main element and how water is seen even like in the signs. I'm a cancer, so I'm a water element. I'm like the water yeah. element. And it's like <laughs> that is I'm that is the emotional sign. Oh yeah. I think about that kind of stuff. So I think that's really neat how you you actually touch on that a few times in the book on how the signs and what their strongest connection is, is how it affects who they are as people. Yeah. I was really curious about how you decided to assign the elements. You were saying you personally connected with water. Was there just like, oh, I wanted water to be the main element, but were you just trying to get good diversity with the elemental magic when you were creating these characters? Or did the characters kind of say, nope, I'm fire? It was definitely that one. And <laughs> sure, you know, you've spoken to many authors and you know yourself, like uh-huh. when you have a character, sometimes they just take over and you're like, okay, cool. I, I have another voice inside of me that's telling me what to do. And that was definitely the case with a lot of these characters. They came onto the page and it was like, okay, cool. This is who you are as a person. And then that also translates to this is the element that you would be tapped into because they are so linked to how we act as people. You know, um, as you said, water is super moody and emotional and then fire is very brash and air is very well-spoken and intelligent and laid back and earth is very stable and rooted. So there were these (laughs) archetypes, really. Mm -hmm. It was fun to play with. Yeah, that's really fun to play with. I know I keep fixating on this, but I'm just really fascinated by your (laughs) creation of the magic system I do I read so much and I read so many books that have elemental magic that I'm always really curious how you take a a very well used trope and make it fresh and you have which I've really enjoyed it felt really good like that's why I like this book so much is it was still a familiar friend but it's not boring it's not a boring friend they had like a makeover and they're really (laughs) hot and interesting now and going oh what's up with that you know like it's that's kind of like a fresh you add in things like when they use the magic it doesn't come without a price it's even though their bodies are kind of conduits there's pain involved which I found was really interesting why did you decide to go that route with the cost being physical exhaustion and the pain involved with with connecting to their element 
I think it's because, especially in different magical systems, all things have a cost. You know, mm-hmm. there's that whole rule of three aspect that whatever you use comes back to you times three. Thank you, the movie The Craft. <laughs> and that was always in the drafts in a small amount. And then when I was working with my latest editor, he was actually the one who was like, we need to push the negative aspects. Otherwise, these people are kind of godlike, you know, they just have unending power. And he's like, you know, what happens if you you use too much earth magic, and then your body becomes so frail, you can break a bone, or, you know, you use too much air, and you can't breathe anymore. And as, as I said, that had always been kind of on my radar, but really pushing the envelope and saying, okay, we can give these people really great superpowers. But then it kind of has to make them very frail and vulnerable afterwards. So there is balance there. You know, you can't have a superpower with too many powers. Otherwise, (laughs) they're not interesting. They're not human. And even in a non-negative way, their chosen elements are the ones they lean towards affect how they look, which I thought was really cool. Mm -hmm. You have this brother and sister twin thing going on, but they look very different because of how they kind of lean, which is really cool. And I really liked that. One of the things that... We don't get resolved in this book, and I cannot wait to hear about is why him? Something 10 keeps reflecting. He's like, I'm just a dude who was like, cool, I can do magic, and now all this crazy stuff is happening to me. Basically, the thing that keeps happening to him throughout the book is he's using magic in such a way that it should kill him, whether it's either the strength or something that's more dangerous and... You know, I love how you added in that element of suspense because he's a still relatable dude. He's just a, a kid trying to figure stuff out and what is going on with him. Again, this was a really great edit from my last editor was that question, you know, why him? What makes him special? You don't really want to fall too heavily on the chosen one trope. Yeah. You want everything to have a justification. He is coming across in a sense as the chosen one because all these people are after him. But mm-hmm. I never got the vibe of like the chosen one. He's just like, crap, what the heck's happening? And he's like right, scrambling right. and it's almost like the elements taking control of him, which has never been heard of before. And it's like, what is going on? He would not be the one I would think that would that would happen to. I really wanted him to be an anti-hero not in the antagonist sort of way, but just in a, like, that's just not his nature. He doesn't want fame or glory. He doesn't want power. He just, he wants a husband and a dog. Yeah. And suddenly he's been given all of this power or expectations, I guess. Yeah, it's been really interesting to play with that and how to also make it so he still has initiative and is taking control because that is also what keeps it interesting. Like, he has to make choices. Well, and I kind of love how when the water kind of takes over him. It's like, okay, well, you're doing this. Even though you might not want to do this, I'm making you do this. We're doing this. Like it just barrels him down and does this crazy stuff, which is really interesting to see his personal internal struggle with all of that too. It's also really fun in that the second book focuses on a different character and without giving too much away, this person is using fire all the time. So he is the exact opposite of 10 and is super angry, super rash, super bloodthirsty. And playing these two Hmm. characters off of each other has been a lot of fun. It's not a companion book. It's a continuation of the story, correct? Yeah. Okay. So we're still going to figure out what's happening, where we're left off and all of that. So 
When I first heard of this book, I did not know that it was post-apocalyptic. It kind of had to switch my mindset because I was thinking magic and magic you tend to think more old school. Was it kind of scary to go that route because it's so popular? And Well, this also kind of goes back to the 15 years ago thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I started working on it, you know, there weren't really any dystopian post-apocalyptic books out there. Honestly, in very early versions, it was sort of a Wheel of Time slash Tolkien-esque world mm-hmm. where it was pre-civilization and there was magic and all of that. And then, I don't know, I, I don't remember why I made the switch to make it very near present day. I wouldn't say it was scary. If anything, it seemed like it gave me a little more to work with. You know, there was sort of the excitement of working with characters who have all of our present day motivations and greed and mm. exposure, I guess, to the world and then have that taken away. You know, like, A, on the one hand, yeah, you're given this great power. But on the other hand, suddenly you have teenagers who don't have Internet and all of the major functions of government have collapsed. Well, and, and there's even a whole scene where they talk about it. They're like riding in a car and he's completely freaked out because he's like, this is too normal. I'm riding in a car. Yeah. It's like freaking I'm just like, my gosh, they were in the house and they were cooking and it was mm-hmm. just everything about it was too domestic and, and reminded him too much of what he had lost in the past few years. Which is funny because that was sort of a throwaway scene for me. And I've had so many people comment and be like, that was one of the most powerful scenes of just having these people thrown back into a situation they never thought they could have and that Mm. impact on them. What you literally just said is something he says in the book. He (laughs) he literally is like one point because he – him and, and his romantic interest, Jarrett, have a night together. And before anything happens, he's laying there just going, I, I never thought I would get this. With him, I never thought I would have this ever. Uh, that must have been so interesting having to go and, and twist those emotions around that, that he was must have been struggling with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so kind of leading in with that then – uh, it's one of the big questions I want to talk about is writing gay characters and what that was like for you in the publishing world. You're swearing, they're, they're saying fuck left and right. <laughs> and yet the sex stuff was like totally fade to black. Not that I wanted graphic details per se, but their kiss on the lip was literally a fade to black. And I was like, what the uh-huh. I was wondering, was that a choice on your end? Like, are there boundaries that are still being pushed with that? Uh, make it more challenging? <laughs> You definitely just opened Pandora's box. I have so many things that I want to say about that. Sam. So, yes, it was definitely intentional in the first book to have very little sexuality on the page. I wanted it to be focused on romance. Yes, there is a fair amount of swearing and gore, but we're America. We were founded by Puritans. Yes, the rest of the world's weird about violence and fine with sex, and we're the opposite. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, as I said, I worked on this book... 15 years ago. And this is actually the book that got me my agent. So it is the first book that we tried to sell. And when we were selling this seven, eight years ago now, there was no gay YA. There was no movement for diverse voices in publishing. So I had to tone it down a lot. And even then, we were getting a lot of feedback that was contradictory. Hmm. Some people saying that the romance was too strong, that it was too weak. Some saying there was too much or too little action. And eventually I realized that it was because no one was comfortable publishing a fantasy book with gay characters. And around this time, I was persuaded by my agent to work on a different project. And 
And so I wrote a book with a straight, white, blonde female protagonist. Mm-hmm. Book sold within a month. The first version of Runebinder was published as Martyr, and that didn't sell until three months after. And then due to various things, we're with Harlequin Teen now. I don't think I knew that. So yes, yeah, it's it's this is actually the third publishing house <laughs> this book has been with. Really? Um, and the second time it will be in print. Wow, okay. Well, that's yeah. kind of frustrating and infuriating and depressing, but thank God it's happening, kind of all of that at the same time. Well, and it's curious, too, because as I'm actually really grateful that you pointed out that there is so much fade to black because my professional review from Kirkus Reviews said that the book is graphically sexual. What? There is no sex on the page, period. Are you serious? I am dead serious. Kirkus Review gave it a horrible review, said it's graphically sexual and everybody dies and it's just another post-apocalyptic dystopian, give it a pass. And I was so pissed off. It it was to the degree that I got my publisher, A, to try to fight it, which they're unable to do, and B, I told them point blank, don't ever send to Kirkus again because A, this review is horribly bigoted. They whitewash Ten. He's never described physically, but they say that Ten is white. So there were just a lot of you know, objective errors. I'm totally okay with a subjectively negative review. You know, I don't like books that my friends love. But well, that's why there's a million to books, say that yeah. it was graphically sexual, I think, no. is super harming because it's keeping it out of the hands of people who need it. You know, if you have someone saying you can't read this, it's graphically sexual. I, I, I don't know. It's it's the hypocrisy because there are definitely YA books out there with full-on sex oh, scenes yeah. between straight people. Absolutely. It's never brought up in a trade review. But the moment you have two boys in love, saving each other's lives, and it's a fade to black, it's graphically sexualized. And that really bothers me, but it also lit a fire under my ass of like, okay, book two, we're not fading to black. We're going to show full on, you know, not just scripts. Well, it's still YA, but yeah, but you're going to let yourself go there. Book one was sort of the foot in the door. And I'm like, no, if you guys are going to call that sexual, I will write the same scenes that I have read in other New York Times bestselling YA series. I felt a little bit of a sense of loss. You build the romance so well that I was like, I want to see them making out because they're so into each other. And there's a sweet, gentle kiss. And then literally you're like, there was no question he wasn't going to spend the night. And then the next day, I'm like, wait, what just happened? Okay. Uh They full on slept together. And again, not that I need to see all that, but that is part of what romance is, is that that a passion. Yeah. It's it's interesting. I realized I had to and try to play to the audience just to get it into bookstores because it is definitely still difficult to get gay characters on the shelf. Is your publisher on board with this? Um, yeah, they are totally on board. My editors at Harlequin Teen have been gay men, so they are perfectly okay with anything queer on the page. Okay. To the point that they've even been like, you should show more of this. So That's good. That's good that you have a supportive community professionally that lets mm-hmm. you be the creative that you want to be and, and gives the characters the, the realism that is how it is. I will say we're so wired for heterosexualness in books that... I was like, man, there's so many dudes in this book. Like I was thinking in my mind, (laughs) okay, so there's him with his love interest, but then there's like this villain dude who's kind of sexy and is with him sort of, but not. And then there's this dude who's revealed to him in this vision. who's also a dude. And I'm like, they're all dudes. And I was like, oh my God, this is what people must feel like who aren't white and straight. (laughs) This is literally what this is like. Not that I was mad, but I noticed it, you know? And I was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I can't imagine how difficult that would be to not be represented and how frustrating. So it's, I'm glad that you're able to, even if it is a fade to black, it's still there. I think it's really well done. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for chatting about that with me because I, I was so curious as I was reading about the dichotomy there. Okay, so what else can we anticipate in book two? Is there anything you can lead us into the story or? Yeah. It takes place immediately after book one, Okay, but it is set in Scotland with a different protagonist whose name is Aiden. And as I said, he is a fire user. He is hellbent on liberating the UK and wiping out the kin who are the main bad guys Mm -hmm. because he wants to rule. And with this book, without trying to give too much away, I really wanted to explore what it means to be a villain because on the outside he is definitely on the side of humanity he's fighting the undead he's trying to liberate but his reasons for it aren't always moral to his sometimes own fire gets out of control well i was just thinking if he wants to rule in at the end of the day it's it's selfish you know it's not really exactly. for the others even if that's a benefit that's a side effect all right um that sounds awesome before we head out th- those are great i'm really glad we touched on things. I mean, there was so much more we could talk about with this book, but I don't want to chat for like three hours. We could talk about the monsters, but I, I really think that people should check this book out. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did it on the audio and oh, it's so good. Um, but I'm curious, are you reading any young adult books you would recommend or fantasy sci-fi books you would recommend? That is always such a dangerous question because I'm like, uh, I don't read as much as I should. That said, I have been reading a lot over the holidays, which has been lovely. I saw a picture on your Instagram of a book that you read at the pool. Yes, I read through the Book of Dust. Admittedly, uh, I can't believe me to say this, I was not the biggest fan. Really? Yeah, I adore Philip Pullman and the entire Golden Compass series. I can't tell you how many times I've read that. It's such a good series. And this book just seemed a lot more slow. I don't know if that was because it was a prequel focusing on a character that we know survives. Oh, so the stakes aren't feeling the pressure as much. Yeah. I mean, I'm Um, assuming if you like the world, it's still worth checking out. It is. And there's still a fair amount of magic in it. I think it gets a little bit more magical near the end when the big flood actually happens. But it did seem to have a slow build for me. I'm curious to see where it goes. I've heard that the next two books are actually after The Golden Compass, but I don't know. Interesting. Okay. I did just finish, finally, reading Feed, but I think it's M.T. Anderson. And Feed was a horribly anxiety-inducing book. Have you read it? I have not read it. Okay. The basic premise is that when you're born, you're implanted with a device that connects you to the internet. So basically, America has sold itself to the major corporations, and everything is based in commerce. So your school is run by a corporation. Healthcare is run by a corporation. So everything from the day that you're born is geared toward getting you to buy shit. It was written 16 years ago. It is horribly prophetic i don't recommend it if you want like a read that will make you feel good after it (laughs) but it was a real good book and i could not put it down wow that sounds intense i mean even the first sentence you said like we were and put the internet in i'm like nope whole lot of nope there right nope yeah and it's it's also cool because you get little snippets of what's happening in the outside world with news that is not supposed to be filtering in and it sounds a lot like the present day that's creepy yeah Wow. Well, that's yeah, 16 a, years ago. 
pretty interesting recommendation for people who are into that kind of stuff. That's cool. Also, for two fantasy recommendations, one would be Daughter of the Burning City, carnival-esque story. Okay. And everyone is a little bit uh, genderqueer, which I thought was great. And then The Grace Keepers by Christy Logan, which is another sort of circusy book in a floating world. And it's a love story between two girls, which is beautiful. Oh, awesome. Okay. Those sound great. I will add those to my list. Um, Check those out. Uh, Thanks for the recs. Thank you so much. (laughs) This was so great to talk to you. I really am a fan of this book and I can't wait to see what happens in the next book. And I love that you are, you're you're finally able to push boundaries a little more with this book, even though there are boundaries that obviously people are still struggling with, but it's a beautiful story. I I just think the relationships are great and the magic is great and you balance it all really well. And I don't really feel like anything is lacking in any of the areas. So it's, it's such a good, good read. Thank you. That means quite a bit. Oh, you're welcome. I will be back at the next podcast. Uh, We have some cool interviews coming up soon and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.